I it's kind of messed up. I wrote a lot of stuff down, man. All right, so I think yeah, I, I, I want to go in in order, and I would save your bit about the beginning until maybe the end. The end for that. Because it doesn't really make sense right at the beginning. Yeah. I, I'm going to warn people right away, like, when we get into spoilers, it's going to be possibly right from the beginning, because I don't know how much I can contain you. <laughs> I cannot be contained. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Filling in the Gaps. I am Justin. And I'm Darren. And today we're going to be discussing a movie called Coherence. Coherence is a movie from 2013. It's, I would say, fairly low budget. Is that... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, on IMDb it said it was roughly about 50000 but that's not like a set budget. Um, you know, it's, it's not like, I don't know, like refereed information, you know? Like, I, I think they were kind of just taking a guess at it. It's got a rating of like 7.2, which I think is a bit harsh, honestly. Like, I think that this movie deserves a bit better. And the tags they gave it, I think, are really, really good because they labeled it as mystery, sci-fi, and thriller. And normally that would seem an odd combination that wouldn't work, but yeah, that is kind of what goes on in this movie, right? Yeah, yeah. All right, so spoiler free, there's not going to be a whole lot, but we'll we'll try to give it to you. This movie is about a house party, kind of dinner party, with a group of friends. Clearly, kind of friends have been together for a long time, and they know a lot about each other. And it's all happening at the time of a comet passing overhead, and a phone cracks, and that kind of starts the weirdness. Like, there is a lot of kind of weirdness, uncertainty about what's going on, but you don't get that for a while. It seems kind of slow, and you're not really sure where it's going for quite a while, but then once it starts happening, it really starts happening. Yeah, I mean, the thriller kind of aspect comes in about halfway, I'd say, but I like this movie because it's almost like a real-life escape room, in a sense. It's, it's a puzzle that they have to solve. It's an interesting set because it's all done in the director's house. I actually remember this movie. Is it really? Yeah. Okay, I didn't I didn't know that, but I did know that it was very, very low on locations and and cast. I mean there are only eight, eight people, people, but it is done so so well. I well I mean the thing that. is like once you actually because I looking back now, after you and maybe a few people uh, in our group recommended this, after I'd watched it, I went to look it up in IMDB and then find out some some more information about it and, and like what the other actors have done. And, and things like that. And then I realized, like, I remember this being made, like, way back and hearing about it, like, pre-production. Because it was all filmed on, like, a really micro-budget, as you said, 50 grand. It was done by the director in his house. There is no script for this movie. It's a 12-page treatment. Everything that you see is ad-libbed. Wow, that's yeah, even yeah. more impressive. I didn't realize that. Yeah. It seemed like it was so tightly made that it must have been scripted. And it was shot in five days. That doesn't surprise me. This so, group, it seems like that's the kind of type of thing they can do. And I will say this. I'll say this even before the spoiler section is if you, even if what we say right now does not interest you in watching this movie, if seeing a group of actors portray as though they are actual friends and really know each other and you get that right from the beginning and you get a kind of sense of caring about the characters. Something that I find very hard to define and hard to describe when a movie fails at this. This is a movie that kind of exemplifies that and I think does it just so well and so quickly that it's worth seeing the first half hour for that alone. 
Yeah, yeah. And even just the, even the simple cinematography is really captivating, makes you feel like you're actually a dinner guest as well, I thought. But when you think about it, just, just let that sink in. It was made for 50 grand. It has a 12-page treatment, no script. Almost everything is done off the cuff and ad-libbed by really good actors, apparently, then. And it was all shot in five days. All of the scares in the movie are, like, are real. It was the, it was them messing with them. They didn't know anything what was going to happen because they only had, well, no script. And they're just like, oh, just act like your friends. That's why everyone's talking over the top of each other and everyone's, like, kind of clamoring for the little bit of attention, maybe. But that is an amazing experiment and they pulled it off beautifully. And basically what I read was there were some parts where don't want to spoil anything right now, but there were some parts where um, the cast were apprehensive about letting, once someone left the house, they were not going to let them back in. And like, after about an hour, they're like, look, if you don't let them back in, the movie won't continue. So <laughs> you have to let them in. But everyone was freaked out on set. All of that is kind of genuine, like, um, anxiety. They solved the puzzles on their own and they got through it. That's an amazing experiment, and I can't believe that he pulled it off, to be honest. The only recognizable face that I see in the movie is Nicholas Brendan, who was quite famous for being in Buffy. Wait, who, who's his character again? I don't know his He name. plays uh, Mike. Uh, like... Oh, Chandler. <laughs> don't you think he looks like Chandler from Friends? No. <laughs> he does. He, as soon as I saw him, it was like, he looks like Chandler. No, but I think that's because I'm so familiar with him having watched all the way through Buffy and, you know, seeing him in random other things. But it's, it's nice to see him doing anything. And this one, I say especially the bits where he's being a nice guy and a good friend and the kind of heartfelt moments, those are very much what he does well. What kind of character is he in? I've never seen Buffy, so what, what kind of character does he play? For a long time, he's just kind of the character who, I, I don't know how to really describe it, but he often doesn't really have powers. He doesn't have ability. He's kind of the normal friend in a group that is not so normal. Ah, okay, okay. But he's also typically the good friend, the reliable friend. And so he he plays that very, very well. And I think pretty much any time that you need somebody like that, he could fit that bill easily. I thought I recognized Beth, but I don't because I looked her up and it's not who I thought it was. Mm-hmm. I thought it was the woman from, sorry, uh, whatever your name is from Deadpool, but I thought it was the girl from V just because of the haircut. I thought, oh, she just got older, but it's totally not even her. We're in a background. Yeah. I mean, it does look like the way it looks like the alien overlord from the remake of V. I, I totally disagree. But again, that's because I'm quite familiar with her from Firefly and from V and from, well, many things, actually. Yeah, she's actually been a ton of things. Yeah. But uh, that's going to bring me to something. Maybe, maybe we can talk about that at some point during this podcast. We're definitely going to talk about it. But that's going to bring me to the Mandela effect, which is... Do you want to do that now? Do you want to talk about that before we get started? That might be a bit too spoilery. It's... Yeah, so we might we might shift that yeah. to later. Yeah. I would say I recommend this movie. There is an odd thing sometimes where I forget that I've seen a movie, and right. Coherence is one of those. I had seen it before. I had totally forgotten that I had seen it until I was at a friend's house, and he wanted to see it, and we watched, and I went about 20 minutes in, and went, I think I've seen this before, and by the time I got to the end, I went, oh yeah, I have seen it before. I do think this is a movie that bears multiple viewings. I think you get more out of it the more times you've seen it, and I think that probably this time, where I was paying much closer attention, because we're going to talk about it in the podcast, I paid 
even closer attention. So I think by all means, if you've seen it before, see it again. If you haven't seen it, see it at least once. I think that it's well worth it. Oh yeah. I mean, I watched it almost back to back. I watched it and then I watched it a day or so or day or two later to take some notes for it for this podcast. And and the second time around, I realized a lot more. I got a lot more stories and I've got, of course, my uh, gap filling theories to go in the spoiler section. Yeah. And it's going to be hard to contain him. So it and may be solid. right from the beginning. They're solid, solid, airtight. Yeah, you listeners, you have no idea. You have no idea. I, I had to tell him to stop last night because <laughs> just message after message was coming my way. And I was like, wait, wait, we're going to talk about this tomorrow. Tomorrow. Let's save some of it. For the podcast. So with that, I think, yeah, he's itching. We had better get into the spoiler section. Should we fly into the danger zone? Yeah, we should We should take the highway to the <laughs> danger zone. If you've not seen it, go. Come back later. It's worth your time. All right. Uh, that's going to bring me to something. Well, maybe, maybe we can talk about that at some point during this podcast. We're definitely going to talk about it, but that's going to bring me to the Mandela effect, which is... Do you want to do that now? Do you want to talk about that before we get started? Do you want to check to see if you're an alien? <laughs> or you're from this dimension? Yeah, well, I, I, what if I already know I'm not? Well, then that's even creepier. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, <laughs> no, so, go ahead, go okay, ahead. right. Let me turn this page. Um, all right, so the Mandela effect is, a lot of people believe, it all started with Nelson Mandela. That's why it's got the name. The Mandela effect is the effect that people have when they misremember actual facts in our current universe. And there are huge divisions of people who remember things differently. So the reason it's called the Mandela effect is because there's a bunch of people who remember Nelson Mandela dying in the 80s in prison. They remember his funeral. They remember it being in the in the newspapers. But he didn't die until 2013, right? And I know he didn't die until 2013, but supposedly a lot of people don't. And so there's this thing now called the Mandela effect where we start to question, like, are we from this reality where that happened? Or are we from one of these infinite universes where everything is the same, but one thing is changed, has changed? So like, for example, I'm going to give you a little quiz, right? You're going to get the first one, of course. What does Darth Vader say to Luke in Empire when he's revealing, he's doing the big reveal what's his what's his famous line it's not the one that everybody says so yeah so what is it well he says that obi-wan lied to you he didn't tell you the truth all he says is uh, i think he says like no i am your father so you're from the same universe as me so far okay what color is cp c3po well it depends which movie we're talking about right uh he's kind of a, a tarnished yellow i think but like Bits of them are a bit silver and worn out. Right. Okay. So maybe we're from different universes because I remember C-3PO as all gold until Empire when he was like remade with different parts. But you're right. He has a silver leg. Um, well, does... and then and there's also the more recent one where he has a red arm. Well, that does, that, <laughs> that does not count. Um, so the Monopoly Man, does he have a monocle or not? Well, that's a tough one. Um, 
my instinct is to say it depends on which version of Monopoly it is, like, because I think that he's gone through many iterations over the years. I think when I was growing up, he did have a monocle, though. He doesn't have a monocle. Okay. So, not from not from current universe. Uh, how do you spell J.C. Penny? There's a lot of these. We can cut them out and edit them. <laughs> how do you spell J.C. Penny? It doesn't even exist anymore, does it? I don't know. I'm not... Right. Uh, like, do you need the punctuation as well? It's no, like no, no. Just, just the letters. J, C, and then Penny would be um, P-E-N-N-E-Y. Correct. One that I thought was really interesting was the Mona Lisa smile. Mm-hmm. The, do you mean the movie or the actual? The actual painting. Okay. The actual painting and the, the smile. I, I always remember the Mona Lisa smile was very mysterious. You couldn't tell if it was really there or not. If you're listening right now, go and Google the Mona Lisa. It's clear she's smiling. There's no, there's no mystery to it. It's a clear smile. That one was quite weird because she's grinning like a Cheshire cat almost. And well, I would. Well, not quite. I mean, I exaggerate. No, because it's uh, it's no teeth, right? Yeah, it's no teeth. Right. There's a clear like smirk. You know, it's not. There's nothing like mysterious about it at all. But I don't know. That's odd. Complete this movie phrase, or no, sorry, complete this movie title. Mm-hmm. Interview with blank vampire. The vampire. Correct. Okay. How do you spell Chick Fil A? Is it C H I C or C H I K? There's a K. Okay, that was a trick question. I kind of tricked you. It's neither. It's C H I C K. Oh, I see what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I, wasn't, what, I wasn't paying attention. I was only listening for the K. Yeah, what, go ahead. What does Hannibal say when he meets Clarice for the first time? In Silence of the Lambs, obviously. Yeah, I, I know who you're talking about. I... It's so famous. Like, I, this one really blew me away. Like, the very first line? Mm. See, that I don't remember. I know that he's... Yeah, I, I don't remember. I mean, you don't remember, hello, Clarice. You know, like, that's what I remember. Mm-hmm. He says, and I watched it, he goes, good morning. That's his first line. Like, mm-hmm. I totally do not remember that at all. So, again, I'm not from this universe either, perhaps. Do you remember the genie movie from the uh, the 90s with Sinbad? Wait, the genie movie with Sinbad? Yeah. Do you remember that movie? I didn't see that movie. Yeah, because so. it didn't exist. Oh, yeah. okay. All right. <laughs> I, I, thought, I, I also think it exists as well, but it doesn't. Does Mickey Mouse wear suspenders? I'm sure that there's some where he does, but not typically. No. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I agree with you on that one, so we're... Maybe from because I, I think that there's one where he plays a fireman where he obviously well, yeah, would be, but, but I mean the general red shorts. No. Yeah, I think I, I no they magically stay up on their to own. To me, it was always magically staying up red shorts. Yeah, all right. Complete this movie line. If you build it, blank will come. They will come. Yes, but no. Sorry, <laughs> that's what I thought. It, of course, it's if you build it, they will come. Everyone knows that. It's not. It's, it's if you build come. it, he will come. Yep, never heard of that Are one. you sure about that? Because I think that the movie does both of them. It Maybe it does, but I think what I think about that one is, I think everybody saw Wayne's World 2, and mm-hmm. they changed it, and everyone thinks it's now They Will Come. Um, I think maybe that's the that's the reasoning. Could, could be. However, I would say Field of Dreams probably slightly <laughs> more popular with a slightly longer, you know, a, well, a slightly better longevity than um, Wayne's World 2. Well, perhaps. Um, okay, Daylight... What time? Daylight savings time. No. Daylight saving. No S. Yeah, I think that's more just... <laughs> I think that's more just local colloquialism than... Could be. Yeah. Looney Tunes with T-O-O-N-S or no, no, Looney no. Tunes, T-U-N-E-S. It's T-U-N-E-S. 
I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, uh, see, now, here's where I think this starts to fall apart in, in a couple of ways. So, one, we are not from the same country. Mm-hmm. So, there's very possibly things that are different. So, take, for example, the daylight saving time versus savings time. There's also just the habit of people to change things. So, in the U.S., at least the part where I'm from, is quite common not to ask for a tissue, but to ask for a Kleenex. Mm. Or we Google something rather than, what, use a search engine? Search for it on Google? Yeah. Yeah. All right, so uh, that one was easy. I don't know I don't know how anyone would get that wrong. Uh, there was one from Jaws saying, um, lots of people thought he's saying, we're going to need a bigger boat, but that's clearly not. That what does he, say. he says, you're, you're going to need a bigger boat, I think. He doesn't say we. Um, but again, I got that right, but a lot of people think it's we. When did Gene Wilder die? I don't know what year it was. <laughs> I mean, I was uh, a long time ago. Ten? If you were too no, late, it was wasn't. Say like in the decades, like I don't think it was that long ago. But how long then? I don't know. <laughs> Have a guess. Uh, was it five years ago? Almost. I mean, that's close at least. Yeah, 2016. A lot of people put him like way back, but no, it was two years was ago. Was it only two years ago? Okay. No, I remember it hitting my Facebook wall, but... Ah, uh, okay. Okay. The last two are just Tom Cruise related ones. Um, mm-hmm. What does Tom Cruise wear in the famous dance scene in Risky Business? Well, he's wearing boxers, a button-down shirt, and sunglasses. Nope, he is not. He's wearing... Everybody says white shirt, dark sunglasses, and in his underwear. He's not. He's wearing a pink pinstripe with no sunglasses. Like, Does he put the sunglasses on later? He wears the sunglasses for the rest of the movie, yeah. <laughs> um, but he doesn't He doesn't wear them for that scene. Oh, all right. And then, keeping there, Top, top Gun. Mm-hmm. What's the, the song called like what's the line the main line from that song something what, the danger zone breath away? the danger zone what's the what's highway the... to the danger zone yeah i i definitely did not know that highway to the danger zone mm-hmm. no i flew through the danger zone <laughs> i i like that that's a bit more fitting <laughs> considering the whole movie is about flying about flying yeah the airplanes but yeah for years and years and i listened to this yeah i always thought it was i flew through the danger zone but it's highway to the danger zone like that blew my mind wide open like even when you listen to it it's like yeah how, how did i make that mistake that's so weird so weird but there's a whole site there's probably multiple sites now well there's a there's an entire that. subreddit devoted to this. But <laughs> devoted to misheard lyrics. Oh, yeah, for or sure. Or misremembered movie quotes. I mean, take, for example, things like Star Trek. As far as I know, Kirk never says, beam me up, Scotty, right? Oh, but, really? Doesn't yeah. he? <laughs> okay. Not that specific phrase in that order. Right. And Casablanca, right? Play it again, Sam, is not what he says. Yeah, that's... that's... He says, you played it for her you can play it for me that's just kind of also the faultiness of human memory yeah exactly i mean i'm not saying i believe that you're from another dimension actually Mm -hmm. justin i just thought it was really funny because like people will stretch to think that there's a problem with reality and that we're actually from different we're actually shifting through an infinite number of dimensions and then getting dates and things mixed up when actually it's just that we're not great at remembering things like ask any any lawyer who relies on eyewitness testimony. <laughs> like, it's almost inadmissible in court. So I think it is a lot of fun, so long as we don't take it too seriously. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, 
Welcome to the spoiler section. Let's begin with this movie. So in the very, very beginning, I know you said before we started recording, your notes are a bit kind of chaotic. So I think, as is my way, probably the boring way, uh, kind of go through the movie kind of in order. Yeah. One of the things I really want to focus on is the kind of subtle and clever ways that they took to create continuity for the viewer and to help kind of identify and separate the characters and what's going on. So they do it really, really simply, but I, I just love it. I think that it works really well. So I'll probably be pointing that a lot as we go through. Have you seen, sorry, just to like, mm -hmm. before we even get started on this, have you seen, you're a fan of the Twilight Zones, have you seen the Monsters Are Due on Maple Street? Do you remember that episode? Of course, yeah. That's one of those ones that when they do a Twilight Zone marathon of like the 10 best, it's usually That's in there. one of them. Mm -hmm. I thought this was really, had a very, obviously very similar vibe to this movie. I wouldn't be surprised if they had seen that and went, you know, what if we did it slightly differently? And... I think that that's great. I think that's fine. I think that they both work separately or together quite well. Yeah, because I mean, the the original, they, they even remade that one. I think the original was called The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. And then like the, the what was the, up, the, the rebooted Twilight Zone with like, who was the guy that, uh, Sterling guy, or is it Sp Sterling? Yeah. Who was who? Uh, it was like, ah, what's the guy's name? Edit this <laughs> you will never the, edit that. So the thing is, there was a Twilight Zone, and then in I think the eighties there was another Twilight Zone which was in color. And I think this is a more even more modern. And Rod Sterling also did one that was um, called Night Gallery. It's not him that's narrating it though. It's who's the last King of Scotland guy or Ghost Dog or Forrest Whitaker. Forrest Whitaker. He's he introduces the episode. I don't know if he's a guest on it, like just to introduce the episode. Maybe he's just a one-off because I don't. I've never. I didn't even know that there was like a rebooted rebooted twilight zone yeah I have i've no only idea. ever seen the black and white but they they so basically the original one was all like just pointing fingers at each other and it was aliens who had done it which is not this movie at all in the reboot one it's a military experiment but in this movie it's neither of those and i like what they've done with this movie i love these kinds of movies that begin before you even know what's going on this movie is already in motion and things are happening that you're unaware of, which makes the second viewing so much more better. It's such a simple start to a movie, just a dinner party. Done. So let's start at the very beginning. We have Emily in her car. She's talking on the phone. And all of a sudden, the phone shatters, like the glass shatters. And so she can't talk. But this is kind of the spark for the whole element of that conversation. So I think it's very good. It seems like a normal situation with one weird thing, but it's not ridiculously weird at this point, right? It's a very simple thing like, oh, that's odd. We get inside and yeah, we as a house party of this kind of like just four couples would be people kind of drift in as they are talking there's a bit of gossip about the people who aren't there yet yeah so did you hear amir is going to bring lori we don't even know who they are but we know that that must be a big deal because they're all talking about it emily seems a little bit like obsessed with her phone which obviously is shattered in her hand yeah. for no apparent yeah. reason i could understand her being a bit confused and going what is this you know and trying to talk to her friends about it Here's where we're already into spoiler territory. I love the idea of the comet. It was just such a simple thing. It's such a, it's such a rare occurrence, that kind of thing. So they even talked about like Halley's comet and, you know, that Tunguska. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're very, very rare. I mean, 
people see them once, maybe twice in a lifetime if they're lucky. And what it did with smashing everybody's phone, knocking out the power, knocking out the internet, it did a beautiful thing of taking all those things away without making a big deal about it in a way that it, it felt like it was part of the story, not just thrown in there. It's frustrating. Technology has made it so that they have to say this in virtually every movie where right. it's a thriller or a horror or something to say, why can't we use the phone? Oh, well, we're not getting a signal. And they have to do this whole thing about, oh, we're not getting a signal. But the way that they do it in this one, it just feels natural. There's something about them going, oh, I don't have a signal. Oh, I don't either. Oh, what did we do before we had cell phones? Oh, we probably talked to each other. You know, like mm. this stuff that I don't know, my friends would be saying if we all had no signal. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so for me, that just works beautifully the way that it feels organic in this movie. Whereas normally it feels like, oh, we've got to throw that in so that it, <laughs> you know, so yeah, that yeah, we can exactly. explain that so people don't go, why didn't they use their phone? Yeah. Uh, but here it just kind of, it creeps in, I think is the thing. It's not like the movie stopped to do that. And when they do start talking about it, it leads into the other discussions about the comets and about what happened in past comet times, I guess. Yeah. But I mean, that's the whole, it's the whole kind of spur of the movie is like, okay, so it's like, bam, all power EMP basically goes off in the neighborhood. Now no one has phones, but there's one house that has power. And it's like, oh, how do they have power? Maybe they have a phone. Maybe uh, they have I internet. I want to talk about that. So hold on, on the, just a second. So before we really begin the party, though, or mm -hmm. the, the dinner, there's a private conversation going on between Kevin and Emily. Kevin is clearly going away for about four months. And he's trying to convince her just to come for one month, I think. And she's kind of dragging her feet, not sure she wants to do it. And so we're set up with that. We've also, before when we were in the kitchen, there was the bit with Beth talking about her drug that she made. <laughs> and, oh, you might want to try that. And I love how she just lists off the ingredients. It's got like cherry blossoms it's natural. and this and that and elderberries and ketamine and like yeah. whoa 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 what <laughs> see and that's where nicholas brendan comes in beautifully where he's like wait, wait wait um isn't that like a horse tranquilizer <laughs> i don't think that's very natural but again like i think that's part of what makes this great so we've got one characters that are easily identifiable physically right we have hugh who is a very tall guy with a beard older dude yeah we have Amir, who kind of has a totally different facial hair. Big mole. Yeah. We've got Beth, who has like short blonde hair. Emily, who has kind of longer, darker blonde hair. Lee, who has geeky, kind of frumpy girl. I, I wouldn't go so far as say frumpy, but like she has, you know, the glasses. She has a totally different haircut than, say, Lori, who has longer hair, is wearing like a red dress. Which they kind of reference a bit when she first arrives, like, oh, I hope I'm not overdressed. And it just works well. It really works well to separate who these are. Kevin looks very different than anyone else. And he's he's typically wearing a scarf, though, later. I think he loses that. By that point, we kind of know who these characters are. And I think that that works very well. They could have done a little bit better job, I think, of showing us very early on who is paired up. But you do get that. You do get that through the movie. There was a long time where I didn't know that Beth and Hugh were actually together. I knew that, but I didn't realize about uh, Lee and Mike. Mm. That was a bit blank for me. I didn't. I didn't <laughs> Even click. though 
It's their house. Even though it's their house, yeah. They do mention things about him supporting her in her Skype career. And there is a reference very early on where I think because Emily's phone is broken, she's like, oh, well, I work for Skype. Obviously, I have it. You can come in here and use Skype if you need. So I think that they do set it up, but it's just a bit too subtle for the first time viewer. Yeah, because when I thought I thought it was Beth's house, to be honest, because she's doing all the feng shui stuff and she's talking about how to set up the room. And what I, I thought it felt like she was telling me how she had designed the room. Oh, no, but she's saying, oh, I hate this corner. Yeah, exactly. But. Lee has pointed out that that's her sister's picture. So I don't know why Beth would have Lee's sister, her picture. Yeah. But again, this stuff all happens very, very quickly. So on a first time viewing, it's very easy to miss that kind of thing. But it's all here. Like when you really start to look at it more deeply. Yeah, it's here. You just have to be really aware of it. Their personality too, though, I think gets very quickly defined as well. We see that Emily is a bit kind of quiet, shy, thoughtful. Um, Comet expert for some reason. Well, I, I think we needed a bit of that. I think it was more just something that she found interesting. It's the type of thing at a dinner party where... And I guess if there was a massive comet in the sky, you'd probably Google comets and look up some stuff. Maybe she fell down like a Wikipedia wormhole, wormhole yeah. like rabbit hole kind of thing. So that's possible. I think... Uh, with like Beth, like you were talking about with the feng shui and all of that. Like it really sets up who her character is. And so we have, I feel like, eight definable kind of characters that have a bit more going on than just something superficial. But we also have a look to separate them. So this, in this kind of movie, very important, almost vital, I would say, and often neglected in horror in kind of sci-fi where what is happening is more important than the characters. Sometimes the characters get lost in the balance and we don't really get to find out who they are. So it gets to the point where we don't care. care. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think that they did a beautiful job of that. But yeah, you were talking about Emily being the comet expert. She just knows a couple stories, right? But what seems like a story that fits because the comet's passing overhead and doesn't seem that important becomes incredibly important as foreshadowing. And that is her story of the comet from 1923. But she doesn't even bring it up. Hugh had heard about it first and he started to talk about it, but she knew more about it. So she continued on and she was talking about a woman who was claiming that the man in her house is not her husband and that she had killed her husband, but they couldn't do anything about it because the husband's standing right there. Yeah. And that that leads very much into what this whole movie is. Yeah. And it's beautiful, but it just kind of feels a bit unnecessary. The first time when I was watching, I went, All right, okay. Can we can we get on with whatever's going on, right? <laughs> the first time I watched the movie, the first half hour, I was like, Well, it's nice. These guys seem to know what they're doing acting wise, but what is going on with this movie? Second viewing, third viewing, yeah. This is important. Like, a lot of what they say is very, very important. So we get into the fact that Lori and Kevin used to date. So there's this kind of tension drama going on there, which you can see very clearly on Emily's face whenever Lori and Kevin are together or whenever something happens. Kevin brings up a story during the dinner that happened from the time when he was with Lori which she wasn't happy about. Yeah. (laughs) But you don't really know that he apologizes for the story, but we don't know why until much later in the movie. 
Now, here is something that we'll probably come back to later because you have a theory. Oh, yeah. So, Mike is stumbling over a bit of information when it comes to Lori. He's saying, oh, are you still doing the yoga thing? And she's like, no, I'm not doing yoga. I've never done yoga. Like, that's not my thing. So, to me... This was saying that Mike just kind of like stumbles over his words. He's not the cleverest person, has a bad memory, possibly. But do you want to talk about your theory now or you want to talk about it later? I mean, we can at least just mention this to set it up for later. If you are, obviously, if you're listening to this, I've got, I, I looked around for some other ideas to see if they had my idea. And I came up with something that I don't think anyone else has thought of or at least published on the internet so i think my idea is kind of a fresh idea and i think it's pretty i'm not saying it's rock solid i thought it up in 30 minutes but go go ahead go ahead but and this is and i i I would expect everyone to agree with me on this one this is not the bombshell theory but before we even enter the party we get the phone crack in the car from m so we know that the effects of the comet are underway so i believe that even before amir and laurie enter the party, they are not from our dimension. Like, let's just call it Mike and uh, Lee's house dimension, like the, the, the viewer's dimension. That's why they don't know each other, or they've they've not, they're, they're not they're not stupid or misremembering things. They're but if, obviously if you're here in the spoiler section, you know what's what's going on, and so that's why they don't know each other. There's it's one of these things where, like I was talking when I was texting you yesterday, I was saying there's a universe that is exactly identical to the one that we are both in right now, except it's reversed. I'm called Justin and you're called Darren. And that's the only difference in the entire universe, in the infinite universe kind of theory. And so in this universe where she's from, he is not the lead actor in her favorite show, which she admits, you know, and it's been on for four seasons. She loves that show and she doesn't recognize the, the lead. Uh, but come on. The show is not new. Roswell was a long time ago. Sure. But I mean, yeah, uh, even so, I think you would recognize him. That's all I'm saying. And then he's adamant that she's a yoga a yoga instructor and he knows he even knows what brand of yoga it is it's like spanish what does he call it spoga or something like that like spanish something yoga and he's convinced of this they're both convinced that each other is something that they're not or they are not what they say that they are but it's only that one detail that's been erased from their different universes but if that is the case then this is not happening in our real universe because uh, mike was not the lead in roswell um <laughs> No. no, 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 he is, he is, because everyone no, else no. corroborates No, no, story. no, no, if you look up IMDb, yeah. Mike is not in our universe. Oh, oh, like, okay, sorry. <laughs> like our actual <laughs> uh, real universe. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I meant like our mm-hmm. universe in the movie, yeah, not our movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I want to, is there a movie, is there a TV show called Roswell? Ah, uh, that, <laughs> <laughs> I thought, sure, you did know, yes. Oh, there is? Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, that's even more interesting then. Oh, that's a whole new layer. Mm-hmm. Mm, cool. Yeah, so I, I'm thinking that they're even from different universes before they come to the party. I think that that's definitely a possibility. I don't know if that's if we're going to make that canon, but I think that that's mm. a definite possibility. It would explain a lot. I just assume Mike was kind of being a bit of an idiot because he and he's like an he, alcoholic or an ex-alcoholic. Well, and I was wondering if he had already started drinking that night, but apparently I don't. I don't think he did from what we see later, but initially, like the first time, I thought he was a bit drunk already, right. and that's why he was fumbling over and kind of pushing, no, 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 but you are doing that, yeah. when she was clearly denying it, yeah. and also I think her with Lori, I don't know, I I kind of took her to not be necessarily the brightest character, and she was also kind of... Well, she works in Silicon Valley, doesn't she? She's pretty bright, I think. Does she? Yeah. I don't know. 
I don't know, she's very kind of pushy as well. Like, she's very kind of adamant later that Beth must have drugged them, even though there's not a lot of evidence for it. So, I don't know, I just kind of took her to be a character where she's not a very trustworthy character. She's clearly flirting with Kevin and, like, pushing things there when she's there with his friend Amir. Yeah, she's pushy, for sure. Yeah, definitely. And so, I don't know, I just kind of took her to be a character we shouldn't trust or shouldn't really listen to, and I kind of got that feeling from early on so i think that i've always just kind of neglected her in any sort of like serious theory but i think that would make sense mm. she's pretty important to my theory though so yeah <laughs> so the power goes out they bring out candles and glow sticks because they just happen to have some that's beautiful i think that is one of the best things i've ever seen is like a simple thing like oh we've got these glow sticks this is the perfect time we may as well just bring them out right and they have multiple colors they just happen to so for whatever reason they have them it seems a little silly that two adults with no children would have these many glow sticks three boxes as well but maybe they had done a house party with a theme in previous times or maybe they give these out to kids on halloween or something i'm willing to give them that because what they do with it as an identifier of who is in what group is so simple and so brilliant and works very well in the fact that it's constantly a low light situation. I think it's just genius. I think it was really, really clever to bring these glow sticks in and to work them in like the, the small details that they are unopened. And so that leads to being a clue later on. Yeah. And I, I think that that works very, very well. They go outside, they see the comet. Oh, isn't it beautiful? Oh, there's a house in the distance with power. What's going on there? And of course they will talk about that. Here's another great thing where they say, how? How could they have power? And I believe it's Mike who says, oh, well, they might have a generator. I mean, we have a generator. Throwing in right away the fact that they do have a generator. And so that connection between the two houses is already there. I didn't even think about that. I, I, that is so I, obvious now. <laughs> I didn't think about it, you know, the first couple of times, but this time looking at it, yeah. I went, well, that's Of course, that's it's because it's the same house. Of course, they've got a generator. Ah, yeah. oh, that's genius. Yeah. But also sets up the fact that, yeah, they do have a generator. So when they want more light later on. And also, and, it, and, and also that will also give us the hint as to why they're a minute or two ahead of them in the game with like the letter writing and stuff. And the right. Hugh has an odd kind of obsession with the phone. He's desperate to have a phone. But it's mostly because his brother told him to call if anything weird happened. We kind of find out from Beth that Hugh's brother is just kind of an intelligent, kind of slightly off guy, but like I said, intelligent. So oh, he's a theoretical physicist, isn't he? Right. He's a, he's a professor, I think. So that kind of ties in well to bring in these theories that I, I guess aren't commonplace, but to those of us in the... <laughs> sci-fi fandom these kind of theories are i don't know they're like second nature anymore i what, think what do you mean the, the schrodinger's cat yeah i love the explanation of that yeah like so there's there's schrodinger's cat there's the multiple realities theory yeah I mean, so those two i think would be the the primary ones but those are just so second nature to anybody who yeah. watches sci-fi that i'm like what do we even need to mention yeah, that but like... i think I think it does need to be explained, but there's a part of me... I think in this movie it doesn't bother me quite so much. They've kind of 
made it fit, whereas normally it's just some random person who has to say the theory so that it's explained. Yeah, like in Interstellar, where two theoretical physicists are explaining to each other how wormholes work by pushing a pencil through a bit of paper. Yeah. Like, oh, could we not just say, go watch Event Horizon? (laughs) They did that before. (laughs) Yeah, do you remember that bit in Event Horizon? (laughs) Uh, But that's that's part of my problem with throwing these theories in and having to explain them, is we do it every time. And Schrodinger's Cat is, I don't think in 2013 was quite to the point where it is now, where it just seems like common knowledge. I feel like everybody has heard about this because it is being thrown into so many movies and so many shows that it's just going to become shorthand and in the future, I, think, I, I think if you're watching a movie like this anyway, you're the kind of person that would know this. Like, Yeah, but I don't blame them for wanting to explain it. If you just say, oh, it's like Schrodinger's cat, and then move on. If you're catching somebody new to the genre... Again, though, this isn't scripted. So it's like the actor prob- probably was like, well, I better, I-, I know something about Schrodinger's cat. I may as well just give them a, a description. Maybe that'll work for the movie. Well, and, that, that is true. That is possible. And that's probably why it's so simple and basic w- w- what he's talking about. You know, it's such yeah, But a... that's fine. I think keep it simple, keep it basic is fine. I don't have a problem with that. And they do it pretty quickly. So in this movie, it doesn't bother me quite so much. But I, I think that with current movies, though, it is starting to get a bit irritating. The Interstellar one was so dumb that was dumb <laughs> anyway let's move on <laughs> so amir and hugh go to the other house and this is key to the entire movie this is where the movie starts really yeah as they're gone there's a banging on the window everybody freaks out they decide to turn on the lights they turn on the generator the doorbell rings because they've locked the door uh hugh and amir walk in they're carrying a box and I'm, I want to avoid the phrase mystery box <laughs> because uh, it is explained. So I would say this is more like a clue box yeah. because it it does get explained. It's later. a puzzle box, basically, yeah. It's... Yeah, or a puzzle box. It's really, really beautifully done. They open it up and, gosh, it's pictures of them, which yeah. is creepy. Yeah. And on the back are numbers, but it's like they're not all in order. And, it's a, ping, and a ping pong paddle. And a ping pong paddle. You go, what is this? What is going on? And why did you take it? And Amir says he thought he saw Hugh drop it. And so he picked it up. Yeah. Hugh is kind of pissed off that Amir brought it. Like, why did you bring that? Because Hugh looked into the other house, but doesn't want to talk about it. But when he finally does, he says, look, I saw a table set for eight people. I saw candles going. I saw basically this room, right? But it takes a while for him to want to admit that he saw this room, but in the other house. Yeah, because everyone immediately just turns on him and tells him he's... He's lying and stuff. But I love that bit, just going back to the box. I, there's some comedy in there that is brilliant, almost. Like, when he's opening the box, and they're like, open it away from your face. It's like, it's not a bomb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I don't know if you noticed this. I didn't notice this until the second time that I watched it. Mike lockpicks that box, and the look on his face when he opens it is like, what? I, I, I did it? Yes. That is very important. Well... What does he lockpick it with? Like, uh, it looks to me like an Allen key. Ah, okay. Or maybe it's a bobby pin or something like that. See, I'm, I misunderstood that because I thought he had grabbed the similar key from his box and used it. Oh, maybe it is. Maybe I've, oh, wait. Oh, I want to check that now. Yeah. So I, I don't know which one it is. I, I think you are probably right because he does say he's picking it, which. Oh, he does say he's picking it. Okay. I'm pretty sure he does. It seemed weird because I thought I saw him holding a key. So I, and it made sense to me 
It was definitely an L shape to me. It looked like that. It is probably like an Allen wrench. It well, an Allen wrench wouldn't really work, but maybe like a bobby pin or yeah. something. It would have made sense to me if he did do that and go, "Oh well, I've got the same box. Maybe it will work." I used to have these kind of foot lockers that I would just buy at the department store, but the key that came with it was like the same key for every yeah, one of them. Yeah. You could, it didn't really matter. So I was thinking it could be kind of like that. But yeah, he does open it. He is surprised by it. Yeah. Yeah, this is where we're looking at all of the things that, that are inside. And Hugh decides he wants to go back to the other house. And he starts writing a note. And this is a beautiful moment where he's writing the note. We see what he's writing. There's a knock on the door. And there is his note. I believe it's Kevin who reads out his note word for word. As he's writing it. And it's exactly what Hugh was going to do. Knock on the door, leave the note, and that would be it. Yeah. So we are getting the sense that one, the other group is somehow tied to this group because they have their pictures, they have this note, but also that they are a bit ahead. Yeah. So they start to puzzle over the pictures. Uh, Amir says, these photos are from today because I just bought the sweater today and I'm wearing that sweater. And they're going through all sorts of theories that you might do if this was really in, if you were really in this situation, right? So could somebody have taken it from the window? Yeah, a secret camera would be spied on. Um, yeah. Though Emily points out later that clearly some of these pictures were ones that Mike had that Mike took. Yeah. So that that's a beautiful little connection there. This is where we get our fight kind of argument between Emily and Kevin about him telling the story about Lori. We get that Emily's a bit jealous of Lori. And here we go even further. And I love it. We divide the group. <laughs> oh, wait. Sorry. Yeah. You've, you're forgetting one of the markers, the plaster mm -hmm. on the head. Yeah. Is that now? That's... That is definitely now because he's got Hughes, a cut Hughes on his head. He's got a cut, so so he gets a, a like a. She, she gives him yeah. a choice: do you want a plastic or a cloth? Mm -hmm. And yeah, he takes the cloth one. But then yes, that becomes a very clear identifier mm -hmm. as to how they're different. But there are four that go and four that stay. So uh, Mike, Kevin, Lori, Emily, they go. Uh, Emily's not about to leave Kevin and Lori alone together. <laughs> so they're going to go. Amir, Lee, Beth, and Hugh, they stay. And so the four that go, Mike gets there. And he's like, this is my house. This is my house. And he's walking up and he looks in and he's like, oh, I see Lee in there. And, you know, or no, no, no. He sees Beth, I think. No, he sees Lee. You're he, right. You're right. He does see Lee because that becomes very important yeah. later, right? That's why I'm bringing that up. Yeah. The others convince him to leave and then they see themselves, but with red glow stacks instead of kind of the hell, man. Yeah. And so they just run. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's so beautiful. That's just so well done. It's so much better for me to have this kind of creepy scare than a jump scare. Yeah. Like I will take this any day and just the look on their faces, both groups. Like both of them. Yeah. Cause they're both looking at each other and they're both thinking the same thing that we're thinking and that is like what is going on but i love that because it's like you've got your red glow sticks you've got your blue as soon as i saw that i just thought oh those are like the sith ones like <laughs> i just went straight to star wars for lightsabers <laughs> um and that's the whole thing because because it's throughout the whole movie i mean one of the main themes of this is like your evil twin side like they're they're pitting this they're imagining this group as like their evil alter egos aren't they right it's kind of like and this is where i think a nice bit of philosophical idea comes in of we all have dark thoughts but we don't often act on them but in a crazy situation what if we did and that's often what these kind of movies bring out and that's what that twilight like episodes about exactly so I will get into that. Mike in particular is really worried about that. And I think for good reason. 
but we <laughs> will get into that in a bit. But yeah, it's kind of like, what if I were my darker self? What if I was free to be whoever I wanted to be? What would I be? And I think that, that that's a very interesting question that this movie brings up and kind of brings up again and again, even right up to the very tail end of the movie. So some things that they do bring up, they bring up the fact that there's a dark zone between the houses. This is key. This yeah. is really important to the entire overall story. Uh, we see Hugh and Amir talking off alone, which seems a bit weird the way that it's shot, and that's done on purpose. We find out that there's a random book about comets because Beth was supposed to send it to Hugh's brother. Hugh doesn't even know about it, at least not this Hugh. Yeah. Doesn't know about it. The book is about gravitation, and then it has notes about Schrodinger's cat, and that leads them into talking about two realities happening at the same time, and the idea of decoherence, which is we are always separate, but in this movie, obviously, it's called coherence, so all of them are together. And this is where Mike really comes in and starts talking about his darker self and worried about what if the other me is drinking? Because he's probably already thinking about drinking, and then he does yeah. start drinking Kevin realizes that they might have the book and the other group doesn't, so they start to come up with this plan to get the book so the other group doesn't even think about it, doesn't have the discussion, prevent the kind of darker group from coming over. Lee is kind of groggy because she'd taken a bit of Beth's drug, and then it starts to come out like Emma's like, mm, did you drug the food, yeah. maybe? And she's like, no, I wouldn't do that, not without your permission, but, but Lori but, kind of pushes. Yeah, but I, but I did that one time with the mushrooms. <laughs> but what she said in the conversation was that they had agreed upon it ahead of time, so she did it only when they agreed to it. But it does bring up the fact that Makes she has done it a little bit skeptical, past, yeah. yeah. Here's another beautiful moment where Emily notices Beth admiring a plant that she had already admired back in the beginning of the movie. I love Emily. I think she is a fantastic character where we see her catching on without needing exposition. We can see it in her face. We can see where it's cutting to and her like face reaction to it. She is constantly kind of one step ahead of the group. And I like that a lot. But she doesn't talk about it. She wants to kind of work things out before she tells the group, which works out beautifully uh, very, very soon, actually. So Hugh and Amir, we find out, have red glow sticks. So they're clearly from the other group. They don't have to say anything. They just take them out. We see a look of relief on both their faces and they steal all the good stuff like the box and the book yeah. and they disappear. Which is wonderful. Um, I love their explanation. It's like, no, but you have red glow sticks. Yeah, we took them from the other house. Like, yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> then um, uh, Mike had talked about trying to write a letter that would blackmail the other Mike so he won't come over. It's kind I, of a dumb plan, but... I didn't get that. That's the only part of the movie that not bugged me, but I was just like, you could have done something better there. Like, black... Why would you... How could you blackmail yourself anyway? Like, and why would you blackmail yourself? Like, and blackmail yourself with what? Like, what's the incriminating evidence or... Did you not get that? No. What? I, mean, I must have missed that part. No. So, Mike had had an affair with Beth. Well, that's why he gets... Oh, was he going to blackmail himself that like, I'll tell... Uh, yeah, Hugh about Beth. Yes. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah, because I know it's kind of it's a cryptic note, but it's a cryptic note on purpose. So it's like, right, okay, 
It's like where they had the affair. Me, Beth, where we ah, had so the that, affair. That's why I thought the other team had come and done it. And so basically he just wanted the book. And so he thought, again, like if they had the book, then they would stop it. Right, but Hugh finds that letter and mm-hmm. goes nuts. Yeah. So Mike comes back. He says that he did drop off the letter. He was going to stay to watch the reaction, but he kind of chickened out. But the thing is, he thinks he was gone for like 45 minutes but kevin thinks he was gone for about five so we already see that the dark zone has a time issue as well but it's not necessarily a time issue as it may just be the fact that the other group is ahead or behind or possibly just yeah i mean I think, they're I think it's all working i think the time thing is really important like mm-hmm. that like when we but i don't it. but it comes into play where we will find out later this may not be the mic that we started with in fact it likely isn't yeah no definitely not mm-hmm. yeah so the group freaks out when they realize you and amir are gone Emily starts to recreate the box of clues. And so this is part of where I think she's really clever because she's putting it together. Lori's talking to Kevin and they kiss. So while Emily's actually being helpful and productive, uh, Lori's being a terrible person. Well, 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 let's not just just blame Lori here. It's also Kevin's fault. Is it though? She kisses him. Oh, and you can't say no? Come on. But he does. He says no. But he still does it. It's still, what, you think he's not to blame? Come on. Uh, yeah. I, oh, yeah. I it's all the dark seductress's fault. Yeah, clearly. No, it's, it's Kevin's fault. Okay, but I think if you're going to say that, I think that's going to put a bit of a hole in your theory later on. No, it makes it stronger. All right, well, we'll see. All right, so Emily confronts Kevin. The lights go out again, and we hear a car being broken into. And so they all go check their cars. Emily puts on a ring that Kevin got her at the fair. Kevin seems a bit confused about Hugh's car. She says, oh, how is Hugh's car? He seems a bit confused about that. And Emily is catching on because Kevin in the house doesn't seem to remember the ring that she's wearing. And so she realizes he's probably not the right person. Like, I think she is so far ahead of everyone else at this point. Is that the part when they're outside? So the first part where she shows the ring, he does seem to remember, but he doesn't know about Hugh's car. Once she's inside, that one doesn't know about the ring. Right. Because there's that part where they meet outside and yes. they just like kind of like look at each other and they know like you're not my Kevin and you're not my, my M and they just kind of back away from each other really creepily. Yeah, or are unsure, I think, Well, at that point. But <laughs> what I'm going to say is Blue Hue and Amir, so the, <laughs> the ones with the, the blue or purplish glow sticks, they reappear and they talk about what they did at the other house, which is exactly what the Hue and Amir did at this house, just with different colors. Mike asks about the other Mike and he says, actually, he's worried about you, which is exactly what this Mike is worried about. In this one, Hugh never left the note, so he has two, and in this house there are two, so now there are four. So it's a beautiful way to say, oh, we're not just dealing with two houses, we could be having in kind of infinite number of houses. Is that where they start to cal- calculate it? Like uh, Hugh... In, in a minute, yeah, yeah, Hugh will, which is a beautiful moment because he's calculating on the phone. Yeah, should your be phone's broken. broken, yeah. And that's where not just Emily, but others start to realize that there's more going on here. So they decide to create a box that is random using dice. 
So now our picture clue has been answered and also the random ping pong paddle because they want to have a random thing to factor in. So in this house, they've chosen a coaster because it's just close at hand. Um, <laughs> we get a bit more drama here where Lori has a photo of Kevin in her purse with her checking account number on the back of it, mm. which is why she's kept all this time. It kind of, kind of lame, but kind of says that she has been still thinking about him for a very long time. Yeah. Original Emily, like our, I, I think that Emily is the only one that we've been following the whole time. Yeah. It, it's safe uh, to say that, right? She realizes that as she's checking the numbers, because I think Lee says something to the effect of, oh, I wonder how that matches up with the original numbers. She opens it up and now it's written in green. And yeah. so we realize we are in the wrong house. <laughs> we have followed Emily, but we are now in the wrong house. Emily decides to confide in Mike. And she tells him that Hugh and Amir are from a third house. He kind of laughs because he just feels like he's stuck where he is. And she refers to the dark zone as a kind of roulette wheel. Kind of, you never know where you're going to end up. And she desperately wants to get home before the comet passes. I love her line there where she just turns to me and she's like, we're visitors here. That's That was so creepy, that line. It's like the way she delivers it. Beautiful. So another Mike leaves a blackmail note. Hugh gets it. It leads to the whole confession of Beth. And apparently everybody knew except for Hugh because Mike apparently claimed that he had told him. And then they're also talking about the random items because Mike brings up like, look, I'm not the Mike who slept with your Beth, right? I'm just another guy, which is, it's weak, right? It is weak, but it leads into them talking about, oh, but I had a stapler. I had an oven mitt. Mike is the only one who says he had a napkin. And then a few say the ping pong paddle, right? So now we know that there are definitely four different groups mixed into this house. But Mike points out, oh, it's, it's a really terrible thing that if this one is leaving this clue, then probably in every reality, <laughs> I have had sex with Beth. <laughs> That's not the way to defuse the situation, no. Mike. So, of course, <laughs> Hugh hits him. It's it's a dumb thing, but he's been drinking. Yeah. I'll, I'll give him that. I'll give him that. Mike asks, what if we're the dark version? And for me, this is one of the best lines. Like, what what if we're the worst? What if everything we fear, we are the bad ones? You know, um, there's that great Mitchell Webb bit where they were Nazis. <laughs> and yeah, like, yeah. What if we're the baddies? Yeah. And it's kind of like that, but in a very, very serious tone. And I, I love that question. It feels natural, but it's also kind of asking a lot of the viewer to kind of think about themselves. And it's right at that point that no, a darker Mike comes in because he comes in and just beats up the Mike we are looking at at the moment. Laurie freaks out. Kevin comforts her. Emily sees this and she starts to walk out finds another Hugh note and just decides, and this is where I really like her, she decides she's going to find a better place for herself. Yeah, she's like, I'm done. Yep. And this is, for me, my favorite part of the movie because this is where we just get a very short montage. I actually wouldn't have minded to, to be slightly longer of her checking out the other places. Yeah, she's window shopping, literally. <laughs> she's opening another box. She sees a monkey. She looks in. We see, like... One where there's a hostage kind of situation yeah, going on. Yeah. We see, yeah, just ones where she's crying. So obviously that's not a good one for her. And then she finally finds a happy group. And so this group has either stayed put or is behind the time that we're in, that, that our Emily started in. Well, the happy group hears glass breaking. They joke about getting glow sticks, but go, oh, no, why would we do that, right? And <laughs> which I thought was just really amusing at this yeah. point. Hughes car, I think, has 
broken windows. I don't know if the book is gone at this point, but uh, the Hapa Emily from this new timeline, she gets the ring out of the car, and as she's doing so, our Emily, like, takes her out and puts her in the trunk. And our Emily walks in kind of the wrong door, unfortunately. And they ask her what she was doing. She goes, oh, I was outside admiring the comet. And then they all go outside. I thought at this point, the first time, I thought this was going to start the whole cycle over again. Ah, that makes sense. Yeah. That that was my concern. But uh, Mike comments that Catherine, will she understudy your whole life while you're away for a month? So we are set up in like one line of dialogue. We know that this Emily in this timeline has already agreed to go with Kevin and that unlike the reality we started with where Emily had lost her big break in the dance world and had been replaced by this Catherine, that Catherine is actually her understudy in this world. So this is kind of her happiest timeline, at least from what we know of her. This is the way she wants things to be. This is her place. So super success. She got it. I mean, she had to hurt somebody to get it, but she's here. But then the power goes out and injured Emily from this timeline kind of appears. And now our Emily has to take her out again, leaves her in the bathtub. She loses her ring. She goes out into the group and then she kind of loses consciousness. Mm. She wakes up. It's daytime. And we know everything is different because it's daytime. So we know that essentially things are over. But it gets a little weird at this point because she has... The ring already, we know that. And Kevin hands her the ring and says, oh, we found this in the bathroom. We know that Emily had walked to the bathroom. Beth had just taken a shower. So there's not likely a body in there. So what happened to the body? And then Kevin gets a call and he says, well, that's weird. You're calling me. And that's where the movie kind of ends with a kind of look between him and Emily. Yeah. I... I think that's a beautiful ending. I think that's that's wonderful. But it's going to lead into speculation. Uh, my speculation was that, that Emily from this timeline is perhaps not dead and somehow escaped and is now calling him. But you've got other theories going on. I don't think that it's possible that she's calling from another timeline. No, I would agree. Yeah. So there is the problem of you would expect there to be a paradox if there were two of them in the same dimension. But let's say that we don't have to worry about that. Because that's all theoretical anyway, right? So let's say here we have the Emily that we know from the beginning of the movie and Kevin from here, but he's kind of aware that something weird is going on and maybe she's been caught out, right? (laughs) Which would be really terrible for her. But you have other theories. So now is the time. Let them rip. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's two, there's, there's one theory that kind of, blows everything away is what they were saying well at the beginning or in the middle was once the comet passes then things are kind of locked in so maybe they get rid of the paradox maybe emily's body magically vanishes from the tub you know who knows maybe her dead body if she's dead i'm pretty sure she's dead but maybe maybe that's just one of the things that happens again it's all theory yeah we don't know what happens maybe the universe cleans up after itself that's possible but if that's the case you would think that our emily would disappear not her. Yeah, true. Actually, yeah. But what I was confused about was, basically, she drugs her with the ketamine in the car, locks her in the trunk of the car, but then she escapes. And I didn't really get that. I was like, well, how did she get out of the car and why is she... Well, obviously, maybe you would go to the bathroom. I don't know why, but is that another Emily? Or is that the same Emily that was in the trunk? At this point, either could be true. I think either equally valid, which is why like, I will let you fill in the gaps as much as you want. I'll let you throw out as many theories as you want, but... 
I think for the most part, I will consider them theories. Well, they're always theories, yeah. Okay. I mean, I mean, I don't think this is again, like you know, like we talk about all the time. I don't think they've thought of every single dot of every i and crossed every t. But well, especially in this case where you said that they were improvising, improvising. a lot of it. But I mean, they they obviously the the, the writer and director had a, a clear idea. It took him five years, I think, to make this as well. It was all in his mind for a long time. So here's what I think. I think that. What we were saying before, Laurie and Kevin are still very much in love. You mentioned the picture in the wallet. Laurie's not gotten over Kevin. Kevin still loves her. I don't think he loves Laurie. Is that in just our initial reality? Or um, do you think that that's true in all realities? You see, I think what happens is that this is really complicated to say. Because mm. I, I don't know which way. It doesn't really matter which. Just imagine the time going in a circle. Okay. I think that basically the movie ending is actually near the start for Kevin. And then I think the um, I think that's his beginning point, but Emily's ending point. And I think that basically in that universe, Emily has... Her story about the ballerina thing was really important. We kind of didn't even really mention it. That's a really important point to make because that's one of those things like, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, if she had stayed and done that, she would have got that. And then if there's so many yeah, I, little sorry, factors. It was in my notes, but I missed it. Because <clears throat> because there were so many factors. It's all like what we're talking about with these parallel universes where there's only one small difference. Like if that, if I had of taken the understudy, then I would have got that. And then I would be this famous ballerina, but I didn't. And then my life has gone in this direction. And so that, universe at the end of the movie is where all the things fit into place and she's maybe in love with Kevin she doesn't know about Laurie that stuff's not happened but Kevin uh, perhaps has maybe they've done all this already maybe this is the end of their night of the comet and the darkest side of Kevin came out he doesn't want to be with Laurie and he figures, well, if there's an infinite number of universes, I'm just going to murder you anyway. And I think the the Laurie that Kevin has tried to murder is the one that's crawling into the bathroom. Emily. Oh, sorry. The, I think the Emily that Kevin has tried to murder is the one that's crawled back into the house, into the bathroom. The reason I think that is because at the beginning of the movie, if you watch the movie again, when Kevin arrives, he's guilty. It's written all over his face. You mentioned before Emily's, yeah, it's really well acted. You learn a lot about the movie, not from exposition, but from their actions and their acting and their faces. Watch it again. I challenge you to, to not agree with me that Kevin is desperately guilty about something. When he sees her, he hugs her. Like he's lost her and he doesn't let go. Like the, the, the shot stays on them. They're hugging, they're hugging, they're hugging. And he's like just buried in there. Like I've missed you so much. He's only been at work for the day. He's like, I've missed you so much. He doesn't say that, but his body language says that. Then at the dinner table, when he, she's telling the story about the Finland comet where the woman murdered her husband, you can see his face. He's just like, he, his eyebrows raise. Um, and when she's telling the story, he's, he's looking really, you know, sheepish. He's looking around. Everyone's really kind of laughing about the story. Like, oh, she, he would get to kill her again. And again, Kevin's eyes are like, oh, yeah. Like, the whole way through it, you can see that that whole story. Even if you just go back and watch that dinner scene again, it's all over in there. So like when that part where Laurie and Kevin are kissing upstairs and the whole connection, like Laurie is still madly in love with Kevin. Uh, Kevin obviously still has feelings with, uh, for Laurie. She's quite successful. Laurie isn't in this universe but again, maybe because of the roulette thing, everything everything gets mixed up. It's really hard to draw. Like with other movies, you can maybe draw a timeline. This one is really hard because I think even in the movie, they calculate it like up to like whatever million number of universes or possibilities there are. With five million something, yeah. But then they're like, oh, but there's the three glow sticks because they've got green as well. And that, that even... <clears throat> 
puts it into astronomical numbers. So there's so many, there's so many possibilities with this, with this movie. But that's what I think. Very, very simply. Kevin thought he could get away with it. He did it because he wanted to be with Laurie. But then Laurie shows up at the end of the movie. And he's like, I just murdered you. You, you keep saying Laurie. Every ah, time. sorry. Ah, but sorry. So, <laughs> so Kevin murders, um, Emily. Emily and because he wants to be with Laurie and then Emily shows up at the end and he's like but I just murdered you like 20 minutes ago or however long ago it was because we know there's some time stretchiness with the whole gravitational weirdness Twilight Zone stuff but if he's super happy to see Emily having killed her he's not happy though that's the whole point when, no, he, no. when he takes that cell phone call at see, the end th- this is where but he doesn't freak out no but this is where I get confused by this whole theory that you have mm-hmm. so your theory to clear it up because of the number of times you messed up the names. <laughs> you think that the Kevin we see at the beginning of the movie killed Emily from his universe. Yeah. And he is coming into this universe and he's happy to see Emily. Yeah. So happy that he hugs her. He's really guilty. Tight. He's guilty, I think. I think he's okay. guilty. All right. But see, I think that he would want to be kind of cold and distant to her because his focus should be on Laurie at this point, if that's what he wants. And he shouldn't be trying to talk Emily again into coming with him for a month. If he really wants to focus on the Laurie storyline and get that to be his future, I don't see why he's still so focused on Emily. Sure, sure. It could be... I mean, again, now we're going to talk about like even more tangential stuff. Mm. Like you're asking me to explain parts of the explanation that you know, it's just further down the line of inquiry, you know? So it's like now I really have to just make up. <laughs> uh, sorry. So now I really just have to make up stuff, you know? So, but I mean, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's done it a hundred times. Maybe he's done it a thousand times. Maybe he's done it a million times. Maybe this is his first time. Maybe it's destiny. Maybe you're just, that's the way that you keep going and you can't change certain things like writing the note. Maybe he has to go through this progression. I don't know. I don't know. But I think, I think it's really clear that Kevin has murdered her but the, and he's guilty about it. Mm-hmm. But again, the Kevin at the end of the movie is not the Kevin that we started with. Um, because you're saying he's not surprised because he's killed her. But I don't know. I'm not saying he's not surprised. I'm saying he knows like there's been some, he might be another Kevin from another, another mm-hmm. dimension. Well, yeah. he, he has to be. Yeah. And so maybe he was doing the same as Emily, finding the perfect, happy kind of family. Or maybe he was, maybe he's been in here. Maybe he just found this place by accident. See, but I, I don't know. I love the idea that they found each other. The best ones have found each other. And maybe that is the point, man. Maybe it is. Maybe they're both. That could be the answer. You know, they've found themselves through. <laughs> well, all let's, the bad stuff. Let's let's make this clear though. They would be the second best ones because the first ones were already there and happy <laughs> and didn't kill anybody. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, yeah. the they're the best worst ones. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I love about this movie. I think it brings up a lot of theories. It brings up a lot of questioning about who we are as people, who we could be, mm. who we should be versus who we are or who we want to be. It brings up the whole idea of multiple timelines and every little thing we do can change our whole lives completely, like with the dancing thing. Yeah, so I think, I, I just think that it is thought-provoking. I think it's well done. I think that continuity works in the movie. Uh, I think part of that is, like you said, if they filmed it over five days, I think it's much easier to be consistent if you bunch the time together like that. But it's interestingly made and shot, and I, I'm a sucker for any movie that is simple, low-budget, but does it well. 
and I think this one knocks it out of the park as far as that's concerned. Especially when you consider, yeah, how it was made with no no script and yeah, very very minimal, one single camera, almost no uh, team, like production team, real simple. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So, I mean, listeners, do you agree with this? Do you not agree with this? Are there lots of other great theories that we missed out on? Point out all the holes in my theory. Go for it. Let us know. Gaps filled are more gaps created. All right, we're going. No, what do you do? Are you saving the ice cubes? Well, I'm just... I don't know how to take them out otherwise. <laughs> um, I don't know. I would just put them in the sink. Well, I'm not. I mean, the sink's far away. I need a really long spoon <laughs> to like put them in the sink from here. But is that all of them? No, no more. Yeah, I yeah, I look forward to editing this one. Um, <laughs> maybe it's going to be yours. Uh, uh, you have some ice? No. <laughs> <laughs>